Welcome to The Soundcheck. It's a Trumpet Masterclass series all about giving you the lowdown on what's up with sales, CS and marketing. We'll be chatting with industry pros and getting into all of the hot topics that matter right now. And today I'm thrilled to be joined by Marvina Elsayo, Director of Revenue Enablement at Oyster. Their company helps you to hire compliantly without setting up a business entity and handle all employment functions from a single automated platform. Prior to this, Malvina led enablement at ReachDesk, which is a household name in the world of sales. She is also the co-host of The Enablement Brew, a must-listen podcast if you're in sales enablement. Today's episode will focus on how sellers can equip themselves with the necessary data, tools, and information to personalize resources for the buyer's needs. We'll discuss how sales teams can connect multiple stakeholders in the journey, how to equip the champions to sell for you, challenges in aligning customer-facing teams with a buyer enablement approach, and the future of the B2B buyer journey in response to the changing buyer behaviors and expectations that we're all facing. Hey everyone, welcome to today's show of The Soundcheck. I am delighted to be joined by Marvina, who is the Director of Revenue Enablement at Oyster, who is a market leader in the global employment space. I think I've got that one right. But also the co-host of The Enablement Brew, which I've been fortunate enough to be a guest on, and I would highly recommend it if you're into all things sales enablement. That's my take at your introduction, but I'm gonna hand over to you, Marvina, to do a little bit of a a deeper dive and, and introduce yourself. Yeah, that's perfect. So first of all, thank you so much for having me on. Really excited to to join you today. Yes, I've transitioned over to Oyster, a fully remote, fully distributed company. Um, maybe over, what is it, two months? I feel like I lost, lost track of time. And I'm heading up revenue enablement there. We're a small and mighty team. So it's myself and two other individuals who collaborate and work very closely with the commercial team. It's been a wild two months, and I feel like in startup, scale-up terms, two months feels like two years. I kid you not. Um, but it's been it's been really exciting. Awesome. Yeah, well, congrats on the new role. Uh, very, very excited to continue following your journey. And um, I think that kind of leads nicely into, um, I guess, the, the topic of today, which is bar enablement, the new frontier of sales. So you've previously been Director of Sales Enablement at ReachDesk, which is uh, a name that we all know and love in the world of sales and you've switched over to revenue enablement how would you summarize the difference between the two and is there a difference Mm, that's a great question so i think really for me it always boils down to bandwidth i think all revenue enablement leaders or sales enablement leaders regardless of what your title is if you think about what you're working on it's that entire journey and we all know it doesn't stop or finish when the customer signs on the dotted line, right? Because you can sign a customer and they can turn a year later. And well, that's not really great. So I always have this approach, obviously, of looking at sales from a really holistic lens, not just from that first outreach, but all the way through when they're engaging very closely with the account management team or the customer success team and really making sure that they're successful. I think the challenge always lies with bandwidth. You want to do so much. You spot all these different gaps. You see where you can have the biggest impact. And then if you're a small team, I mean, a lot of enablement practitioners out there, it's it's a one-man, two-man team. That's, you know, a really, really small team. And I think it really boils down to prioritizing and really seeing what you can focus on today that will have the biggest impact. Obviously, you want to look at that holistic journey 
But I think you have to be real and honest with yourself that you're not going to be able to tackle everything from day one. So even though I've transitioned from sales enablement to revenue enablement, where I'm trying really hard to to look at everything holistically, the entire journey, even post-signature, in the very early days, I'm thinking, okay, great. Well, let's first understand the sales process, right? Let's first understand that top of funnel activity, what that looks like. Let's understand what the sales journey looks like and the buyer journey in those early stages. The next step for me will really be, well, what happens once the customer signs, right? How does that collaboration look like? Are we still as seamless and as thoughtful as we are maybe during the sales process? So I think it's really taking almost like a stepping stone approach, right? We want to tackle everything that's not going to be possible. So let's focus Let's really look at the entire journey from start to finish. And I'm very much at the start part of the journey. For sure. Um, I think yeah, that also lends nicely into the topic of today, which is all about buyer enablement. We always phrase it as making it easy for your buyers to buy, giving them the right information at the right time in the right format that helps them sell your solution internally. Because if we're honest, buyers are spending less time with salespeople, so we need to equip them um, to sell the solution internally yeah. easily. Um, so with that, it, it sounds like you can go ahead and make it easy and, and start creating a, a better buyer journey. But for you, it's very much starts with, okay, actually internally, do we understand what that buying journey looks like, which teams are involved and are those teams internally working together effectively? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, really, it's The first step of that, and if you think about your account executives or even your BDRs, you know, they're all unique individuals, right? They all have their certain way of doing things. They all have their approach, but ultimately it's the experience that you give your buyers and whether they're talking to Malvina or Rory or someone else, the experience for the customer should be the same. Right. So if someone talks to you, it's like, oh, if I had this incredible experience, you know, with Rory, he really made me feel comfortable. He showcased credibility. He was really trustworthy. Like the whole process was very seamless. He gave me access to everything that I needed at the right time. And you want that experience for the buyer to be almost the same, irrespective of who they talk to. Obviously, everyone's going to take their own spin and put their own flair on things, but that experience should be the same. So for me, it's really looking, well, how do we run our sales process? What does our discovery look like? How are we demoing our solution? How are we following up? Are we following up in a timely manner? Um, What are the resources that we're sharing um, afterwards? What are the types of questions that we're asking during the, you know, during the conversation? And if you, if you take a really close look at that and you realize, well, everyone is kind of doing their own thing. Everyone does it very different then the question that you ask yourself is, is that really representative of of the culture, of the company, of the vision, of the mission? And if it's not, then what you want to do is really streamline that as much as possible and almost set what that good looks like. What is the best practice for us internally? You can do it your own way, but this is the best practice, right? This is what you should ultimately be adapting your your talk or your presentation to. Definitely. So it sounds like you need to get the the found consistency right across the team but getting the foundations the 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 basics right because then you can start to experiment iterate and each rep have their kind of i guess own approach to a certain degree for you from a revenue enablement perspective to be able to understand what else can we be doing like what else is working 
once you've got that benchmark in. Yeah. I mean, if you don't have the foundations in place and the best practices in place, it's so difficult to build on top of that because you will get a mishmash of all sorts, right? So making sure that those foundations are right, I think for any enablement leader coming in, that's the first area of focus. It's like, let's make sure the foundations are right. Let's make sure we have a really solid base before we add more on top. And that has really been personally the focus for me recently. Interesting. Okay. And let's say you've done the work, done the analysis, you've got the team to, oh, what's it, sing from the same hymn sheet? I think that's the yes, saying. Yes, that's it. And <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they're all, they're all firing on all cylinders. They're, they're kind of working a, a nice, cohesive manner. What about the flip side now? You're starting to think about the buyer because interestingly, you've also bought software before. And I think you've got an interesting take of like what you like and what you don't like. And I think having heard it, I think it resonates with a lot of people out there that have bought or are buying software. So I'd love to hear your take on, okay, now thinking about the buyer, what is a great buying experience? Yeah, and I think you heard me say this or maybe I shouldn't say this as an enablement leader because it might be quite <laughs> controversial. Um. I really dislike being discovered on how, whatever, however you want to word it, right? But that discovery when I've been purchasing um, SaaS solutions, it's a little bit daunting and it's a little bit uncomfortable because suddenly you're talking to an individual and you're getting asked loads of questions. And there comes a point in my mind where I'm like, okay, okay, let's just see the product. I know what I need. I know what I need. I know exactly what it is that I'm looking for. Let me just see it. And that type of discovery when you're just firing questions and really trying to get all the answers very early on, for me is a little bit off-putting. What I really value in the sales process is it's almost like irrespective of who you choose, whether you choose us or another company, if you're in the market for this type of product or service, these are the things that are going to be important to you. Right? These are the things that I'm hearing from other sales enablement professionals or from other leaders um, in the industry. These are some of the trends that are happening in the market. I want to be taught something that I didn't yet know. And the greatest discoveries and, and the greatest sales conversations that I've been part of are the ones where I walk away saying, you know what? I learned something. I learned something new. And it's not necessarily about your product, but about the industry as a whole. So giving your buyer the ability to learn something new, consider things that maybe they haven't considered before, it makes the conversation so much more interesting. I mean, when someone starts a conversation with me and, and, and they start off with, hey, Malvina, you know, I've been speaking with loads of enablement leaders and here are some of the things that they've been saying, which one you know, resonates most with you? Is this also what you're feeling? Is this also what you're hearing and seeing? that spikes my interest. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Who said that, right? You know, which, which company is looking at, at this potential product or services as well? You know, what are some of the challenges that they're facing? And then it becomes very easy for me to relate and say, you know what? Yeah, I, I have this same challenge and problem. That's exactly what I'm going through. If you're able to do that from the get-go, the conversation just takes a completely different turn versus... I'm going to ask you all of these questions and hope that you give me all the answers because the thing about buyers today, they don't have all the answers. They might have an inkling of what it is that they want and what problem they want to solve, but they don't have all the answers. 
And sometimes they don't even know what they should be looking at and, and, and considering and, and thinking about. So you want someone really to come in and be able to, to educate. For sure. Um, which instantly makes me think of sense-making sales, which I think we also both discussed before, which is, as you say, like buyers have a problem, but they don't know the space that they're buying in. They don't know how to buy necessarily. They don't know the journey ahead. And it comes down to help them make sense of that journey. So what are the other solutions? What does a typical journey look like based on similar sized companies? And all of that really comes down to doing the heavy lifting for them. Um, so creating a nice clear path ahead, being transparent. And that can start from that very first call. Like you said, I think the, the kind of bit that stood out to me was it's not a discovery, it's not an interrogation. And like, I'm sure you get your reps, like discovery has its place. It's how you do the discovery. And the best way to do it is to make it more of a conversation. So then not just getting asked question after question on a list to the right-hand side on a piece of paper, it is opening up the, the conversation and digging deeper into their answers, which feels a lot more natural. Yeah. So I'm sure you do that with your team as well. Um, and on that, it can start, or um, this kind of making it easy for buyers to buy can start in that first call, potentially keen to hear your thoughts of doing a demo. HubSpot mm -hmm. say that 50% of buyers want to see the product on the first call. And I think there's an assumption that our product is too complex. It's, you know, it's for enterprise businesses. It does so much. Like I can't do a demo in five or 10 minutes and I fully, fully agree. But is there not an argument that you can still get them excited by saying, oh, actually you mentioned that being able to hire talent seamlessly uh, across the world is a current priority. Does this look relevant to you? Showing them two minute inside, two or three minutes of like one feature, one part of the platform um, and saying, obviously it can do so much more should we find time to dive deeper on another call? Would you go, like, do you encourage your team to go about it that way? Do you like to be sold to in that way? Mm. So we live in a world where we all have the attention span of a goldfish. <laughs> That's the truth. Sad to say, I think I have an attention span of a goldfish, right? So <laughs> there comes a point where you're like, okay, I want, I want to see the product now. So many sellers will jump on that first call. Imagine you have an hour booked in and they will go through all the bells and whistles. They get to the end of the call, try to book that next step in and the prospect says, well, mm, I'll get back in touch with you. Conversation finishes. Now, if you think about that first conversation, then probably what ended up happening is the seller absolutely, one, overwhelmed them with information showed them way too much. So what's the incentive for the buyer to want to take that second meeting? Probably not much. I think in the world in which we're operating in today, there is this expectation that if I'm giving you 45 minutes of my time or an hour, let's face it, it's a, that's, that's a big chunk of time. I mean, I look at my calendar, I'm like, where can I squeeze 45 minutes, right? It's, it's a little bit of a stretch. But if I'm giving someone 45 minutes of my time, the expectation is that I do want to see the product. Now, you can do it in a very savvy way. You'll do the discovery. You'll share the insights, share what, what's happening in the market. And the guidance that I like to give is pick just two, three things. You don't want to show them absolutely everything. If they mention two, three things that are really important to them, maybe you got them to prioritize, like, you know, these are the three challenges you've mentioned which one is really top of mind, which one is really pressing. Then you have, if your product aligns, of course, then you have two or three solid things you can show them in the demo, but you have to preface that. 
with, you know what, I would like to show you um, a demo of, of our solution or our product, but I will focus on the three things that you mentioned are the biggest challenges. And they are X, Y, and Z. I'll start off with X. Does that sound good? And then immediately you're thinking, okay, she's showing me something that's relevant, that makes sense to me. But so many sellers, what they end up doing is they almost treat the demo as a completely different experience. It's like, we've done the discovery, but I'm just going to show you absolutely everything that our product does. Oftentimes, not even tying it back to the challenges and the pains. And that's when you lose the buyer. If you're not linking it back to the challenges and pains that you've heard in the beginning, they're gone. And that's why so many times you get to that end of the call and there's no next steps because you've overwhelmed them. You showed them absolutely everything. And it almost felt like you maybe didn't even listen to what they were saying in the first place. So I think that expectation of seeing the product is definitely there. Only show two or three things, make it super tangible, make it really correlated to the challenges and priorities that they spoke about. And then when you get to that end of the call, then you can say, look, I appreciate I only showed you these things in our in our product or in our software. The next time that we meet, I would like to show you X, Y, and Z because you also mentioned so-and-so. And then you have the incentive of, okay, well, yeah, absolutely. I want to see that. So I will jump on that next call with you. And it's not next week. It's hopefully, you know, three, four days later, but you're keeping that momentum going. For sure. It's like highlights, showing them the yes. highlights relevant to their pain points. And I think the other side of it, which we're seeing work well, and there's lots of talk about doing it is tying those highlights to customer stories because it creates validation. It inspires, creates excitement on the buyer side. Like everyone else wants to achieve similar results to companies that are in their industry, in their space, because yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, it resonates with them. You know, it's, it's kind of easier to understand. Yeah. Cool. So that's a bit about the discovery, but this, as you mentioned, like sales doesn't stop at discovery. It doesn't stop at contract sign. So after that call, what does good look like when you, but when you have gone ahead and booked that next call and let's say you just showed them some highlights. So yeah, again, you know, having bought software, keen to hear your thoughts. So it's interesting, actually, we're currently, um, going through, um, medic training internally. Um, and so often you will get buyers that are like, yes, I'm so excited, so excited. I need to fix this. I need to sort sort this out. And the seller automatically assumes like that state is going to continue during the duration of the engagement. And then a week passes by and suddenly they're maybe being ghosted. The prospect is maybe not replying as quickly as they were before. And you wonder, you know, what on earth has happened? And the truth is, and that the pain or the necessity has sort of died down, right? What was really pressing in the beginning, you get distracted, you get distracted with your day job, something else comes up and suddenly what was a priority slips down the priority list. So I think for sellers, it's one, that acknowledgement that that pain isn't always going to be the top priority unless you really take a proactive approach to continuously engage with the prospect, one having those next steps booked in. A personal pet peeve of mine is when I have a meeting and the meeting has finished and there's no follow-up <laughs> that came through. I mean, it's something so simple, right? We talked about the foundations and the basics, that follow-up, right? I've just potentially gotten off an amazing um, call with someone 
and I do check my inbox, you know, and it's a day, two days, three days, and there's no follow-up. There's nothing afterwards. So I could have been excited about something thinking, I really need to solve this. But if I'm not getting the follow-up from, from the seller, then that will slip down my priority list, or I will engage with someone else who's going to be quicker in responding. So I think making sure those foundations are right. Like if you're a seller, please send the follow-up email, do it on the same day, <laughs> right? It's so basic, but so many of us forget. The other bit is the agenda before the meeting, right? We mentioned 45 minutes an hour. That's a big chunk of time. At least give me an insight of, you know, what I'm stepping into. We'll have a 20 minute discussion. I would love to show you the, the demo of the product for 10 minutes. If it makes sense, then we can talk about the next steps. Okay. I know what I'm, I'm no, I know what I'm entering into. So it's really, really those small things and keeping that momentum going throughout the sales process. We all know that time kills all deals. <laughs> so keeping that momentum, doing the small things, you know, recording a short loom and just doing a quick walkthrough of the product that you can maybe share internally with other stakeholders. But they seem very basic, but I think for, for many individuals out there, it's like going above and beyond, right? Like, oh, recording a Loom video, that's going to take a long time or a Vidyard. But it's those small things. And I think if you do them right, they will keep the momentum going in the sales process. Absolutely. Um, I don't think any deal can be taken for granted, especially in this climate. Like uh, anything that's sort of past the 40, 50% uh, probability mark on your pipeline needs that extra care needs to, you need to be going the extra mile um make sure you're not fighting against the status quo you know what the the jolt effect like yeah people that say they're going to buy that doesn't mean they're going to buy like you know you've got to do all the as you mentioned the, the medic qualification and do you understand who the other stakeholders are and, and saying to your your champion who else needs to be involved in this conversation and i think that can also be taken back to doing the heavy lifting is saying the reason i want to find that out is because I don't want you having to be the middle person between us and legal because that stuff's not fun. Or, yeah. you know, I, I've navigated a whole bunch of different procurement processes. Do you want me to kind of take that, like explore that um, with the relevant team members because yeah. you've got a day job, you know, appreciate you, you've kind of already gone out your way here. And then outside of those bits, we're, you know, we're seeing the, the rise of mutual action plans, which are brilliant, but I think something that's also incredibly powerful and we're seeing happen across every size deal uh, mm. at certain companies, like from, you know, a five or 10 K contract up to, you know, several hundred thousand pound is business cases, making a business case for your champion, for your buyer that they can then go and share internally because they're going to have to make one at some point, even if they didn't realize they had to, because yeah. every CFO is asking for one, you know, exact summary, who's this company, why are they fit for us? What is the, you know, they're not asking for it, but what is the cost of inaction? What is the ROI? Like, what is the, the cost of change and things like that? And I think it's our job as salespeople to be going that extra mile, to be putting in the, the hard work to create a compelling narrative and why it is such a good fit. Um, I so have that a good story that for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have a good story for you on, on um, just business cases and, and value proposition. I remember very early on in my enablement journey, I wanted to bring on um, a certain product or service. And I've asked the vendor to help me build a business case. Okay. Now I took that very literally. So whatever they've given me, I've circulate, I didn't do the due diligence of let me actually 
maybe change, edit some things to make sure it, it fits our internal language. So I've taken what they've given me and I shared it with our CEO and our CRO. And they came back to me saying, look, this isn't a business case because everything in here is so favorable to this vendor. It's all about this vendor and what they can do and all the success stories and the amazing case studies. And I think today when we put together a business case or help customers put together a business case, and I learned this through this, I didn't get that product or service for this exact reason. I messed up. They also messed up. Um, But it's not necessarily just about you. You have to almost make that business case look as vendor neutral as possible in the beginning Right. So you're considering all the options because any stakeholder that you're engaging with, when they go for a sign off, what they want to showcase is I've looked at all the options out there. I've compared all of them. And this is why I've come to the realization that this is the product or service that we need. But if you don't present that service agnostic view, it's very difficult for that business case to look extremely favorable to to the vendor, but it actually almost puts you in a negative light because it doesn't show that you've done your own due diligence. So I think companies out there should really consider that if you're thinking about equipping your stakeholder, equipping your champion to do that internal selling for you, because that's ultimately what that business case is, you need to showcase them in the best light that they've looked at all the options out there. And the reason why they've come to the conclusion that your product or service is the best is because of X, Y, and Z. I like that. I like that a lot. Personalization doesn't stop at your email sequences and outreach. It goes all the way through to the business case. It's got to be in their terminology, their problems, their industry, I guess, trends as well. Yeah. If you're helping your customer write an internal business case as to why they should bring on your product or service, It has to be written in their language. It has to reflect the terminology. It has to address what it is that they care for. And you have to make your champion look really smart, (laughs) right? You have to make your champion look really smart. They've done all this work. You've helped them. But that's how when they go internally and have that conversation, they're going to look really good. You want your champion to look really good. Like they've put tons of hours um, into putting this together. And they've analyzed and looked at all different options. It's a nice way to phrase it. I am conscious of time, but I want to finish up on one last question. What does the future of B2B sales hold uh, for all of us um, and the buying journey? Keen to hear your take on it. No sellers. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think we've already, in the last, obviously, 15, 20 years, we've seen a huge change of how we buy software. We went from a time where it was information scarcity. There wasn't a lot of information out there to now information overload. And I think that's what scares a lot of buyers. There's too much information out there. And then when it comes to making that decision, it's extremely challenging because you feel overwhelmed. I think as we continue evolving and growing, sellers have to realize that we have to make that journey as seamless and as smooth as possible. And it's our job almost to be that translator, right? Like you may have read all this stuff on Google, but let me break it down for you. Let me actually tell you what this means. So really simplify the journey because everything today is just so complex, so convoluted. And you hear it from 
from from buyers, right? I've read this, I've seen this, I'm not really sure. Is this true? Is this not true? Fake news, all that jazz, right? It's 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 all there. So I think we as sellers have to really simplify the buying journey. And then the other big shift that I I see coming and it's already here, it's the role of AI. And I never see AI as replacing the seller, but I really do see it as being a nice co-pilot. I think it, it can help you be more efficient and effective, even in simple things like writing your follow-ups, making sure your message is very clear and concise, potentially putting together that incredible business case that maybe would take you two hours to write internally. So I really do see AI being, being that co-pilot. And again, it all ties into this theme of how can we simplify the process? How can we simplify the decision-making process? as much as possible so that ultimately when your champion has that internal conversation with stakeholders, they feel fully equipped and you as the seller know, okay, these are all the stakeholders that are going to be involved when it comes to making that decision. Absolutely. Um, very, very aligned with you there. Cool. Well, uh, Marvin, I feel like we could uh, keep going on about this all day long. Uh, I know it's a, a subject close to our hearts, um, but thank you so much for your time today. We love to wrap up with three quick fire questions. First being, who else would you like to see on uh, on the sound check? The second is a podcast that you would like to give a shout out to, and I can imagine which one it will be. And the third is a tool that you think everyone should go and check out. All right. So the first one was who else I would like to see on the sound check. I'm going to give a shout out here to Alex Ali from ReachDesk. I think he can definitely share some incredible insights just around breaking the noise, the trends that we're seeing in the B2B SaaS space in particular, and how to really connect with, with your buyers and, and customers as well. Uh, the second one was podcasts. So I'm going to give a shout out to Carly from the Enablement Brew. Uh, we have to resume recording our podcasts, but if you haven't checked out The Enablement Brew, do give it a go and we'll have new episodes coming shortly. And the third one, a tool to check out. Well, I'm going to say Trumpet, right? We're talking about buyer enablement. Uh, definitely check out Trumpet for sure. That was not a leading question. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you again. It was a pleasure having you on the show and uh, yeah, look forward to catching up soon. Thanks so much, Rory.